And I remember telling him, you are not your father and I'm not your mother. Exactly. So you, you can't, we, we're not going to have the same relationship. And then again, that goes back to piggyback to, like I wrote my second book, it's called My Secret Life. And there were powerful women. It was a collaboration of women, a, a panel of powerful women. I work for the police department. I think one lady was a judge. There was one minister or a pastor or something. Pop, all in abusive relationships because it happens so subtly. And it's not about your strength or your weakness. It can be, but it's about you. And you are living despite it all and this is by Rupika. Welcome to another exciting episode of Podcast with Sheila. With me today is trauma recovery coach and psychologist Tanya Austin. From growing up in an emotionally abusive environment to identity crisis to her two toxic and abusive marriages and always feeling alone and unprotected, Tanya will be sharing with us today her journey so far and how it's been. Hello, Tanya, and welcome to Podcast with Sheila. Hi, thanks for having me here. It's a delight to have you. Um, I am you, excited. Do you have a favorite quote you'd like to share with us today? I do. I, throughout my trials and tribulations, I really, this is what got me through. Uh, you got this. <laughs> You got this. So I, I, that was something that reminded me of my own power when I didn't have anybody around. I just kept hearing that pop in my head. So that's definitely a quote. If you're ever doubting yourself and don't believe that you can do it, you got this. You got this. Great. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who Tanya is, before we actually get into today's story. So I am a mother of six I uh, grew up with older parents who kind of were distant from me and I didn't feel like they loved me, but they had a very toxic and uh, not so loving relationship. So I kind of grew up with that same thought process thinking that that was normal. So I ended up creating my own family. Uh, most of it was toxic. And I just recently divorced a toxic marriage, very abusive. And that particular thing is what sparked me from um, continuously staying in that toxic environment because I knew something was right and I knew it was time to make a change. Great. When you talk about a toxic environment, what exactly do you mean by toxic environment? Well, my parents, they argued a lot. They didn't fight per se, it wasn't physical, but it was name calling. Uh, like, like I've never seen my parents hug. I've never seen them kiss. I've never seen them say, I, you know, I've never heard I love you. My father never told me he loved me except for one time. And that was a couple of days before he passed away. Uh, my mother to this day has never really told me she loved me. You know, it was just the emotional toxic uh, behaviors that like the generational, my mother didn't do it to me. So I don't know how to do it. And I even passed it on to my kids. I find myself not as much now because I'm working on it, but I find myself disconnected from my kids because of the way that I grew up and I instill some of those same insecurities and toxic behaviors upon them, which I really, really don't uh, like. So it wasn't necessarily physically for me as an adult, though it was physical. But my mother and father, they didn't, I didn't see any physical 
abuse. It was just more verbal and emotional uh, abuse. Was that what led to um, you experiencing identity crisis? Oh man, that is 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 interesting. <laughs> I've actually been diagnosed, which is weird, uh, in the medical field as having bipolar oh. and borderline personality disorder. So growing up, I really thought something was wrong with me, and I was so disconnected from the world. But as I grew older and learning through my spiritual awakening process and learning more about nature and you know the universe and all of that, I started to see that the things that I've experienced in my past were just life experiences for me to learn from. But the identity crisis part comes in because I was so conditioned to believe that something was wrong with me. And I, it, it took me a lot to break out of that belief system because being called borderline personality, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of made sense at the time because I was trying to find answers. But as I really started to grow in myself and learn and love myself and see who I really was and walk in my purpose, you know, it's not multiple personalities. It's just, I just wasn't being real with myself. So my identity crisis was, I wasn't being natural. I wasn't being in tune with my soul. I was playing the role of what I was expected to be played of. And it drove me nuts. Like literally it, it was not healthy at all. <laughs> And it kind of like I've been in psych wars because of trying to live up that lifestyle, trying to be the perfect mom, the perfect wife, the perfect this, the perfect that. And it's no such thing as that. But I know that. So now I'll just be the perfect me. Do you think that because a number of times I've heard people say that sometimes when you are tagged with something that you are not, you know, I'm going to give an example here because going back home from where I come from as an African and growing up in an African community, children are allowed to explore themselves and okay. be who they are. But in this part of the world, where when a child expresses himself too much, then they, they are tagged. You get what I mean? And children, <laughs> children like these can't accept it that much because they know within themselves that there is nothing mm -hmm. wrong with them. Exactly. That is how they are. They have a lot exactly. of energy. They are. They can express themselves. So the moment you tag them and try to seclude them from their mates, then you are actually creating a problem. So for me, that is what I believe. That that is where you begin to create problems for the child, because yeah. uh, and out of stories I have heard, and even just a recent podcast, the gentleman who came on said he in the same situation and he couldn't accept that he was, he had issues growing up and this actually affected him. So it was mm -hmm. when he was tagged that that affected him. I think for me that if they could allow the children to be who they are, you get it, allow them to express themselves, just be who they, is much better than putting divisions and secluding them and tagging them and putting them in groups and putting them in special classes and putting, <laughs> exactly. All of that for me, well, they do it, but I think that from my lame person's experience that um, they should at least let these children be expressive of themselves rather than try to put them into, because from exactly, from what you're saying, it goes to prove that I'm right. Based on yeah. what, yeah. 
Yeah, and 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 for me, I learned like Mike. In fact, I just told my twelve-year-old and nine-year-old, I think yesterday, that that's exactly like I let my kids express themselves. Like my mom, my mother, oh, she whooped me one time when I was a kid, and it was like brutal. If she had done that today, she probably. <laughs> but that particular incident just showed me that. I, this is not, no, I don't like this. And I would never do my kids like that. Instead, because a lot of times when she punished me, it could have just been a simple, what's wrong? What happened? Why are you doing this? You know, instead of just grabbing the belt or grabbing the switch or not, or just telling me to sit down and be quiet. You know, not, not that nice, of course. But <laughs> And I learned growing up with my kids, like I would give my kids, the opportunity to explain to me, why did you, now that doesn't make sense. Why did you do that? You know, instead of just getting a belt and I'm just going to know, because sometimes kids literally, they don't know what they're doing. Like they're kids. They literally, they three. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you whooping them? And they don't know that they just put all the mustard on the flour on the kitchen sink and they don't know. They just know that they're exploring and they're navigating through the world. And even, even my teenagers, I have six kids. My fourth daughter was the most challenging, and I love her. She reminds me of me, which is my thing with my mom. Uh, my mom, I actually remind my mother, like I remind her. You yeah. Know, I remind her. So it's, it's kind of like the relationship I have with my mom. I have with my fourth year, my fourth child. But we're getting better at it. Um, it's just like, you do things like they, she used to do things as a kid, and now she's older. She's like, Mommy, now I see why you used to do what you do. Now it makes sense, you know, instead of just whooping us. So they thought that giving them time out, or like I would have them, I, I created the point system. You know, if they did certain things, they would get a certain amount of points. You know, I would make them work for things. And if they questioned what was going on, I would answer them, but we would have family meetings and I would let them discuss their matters. What's going on? How do you feel in the family? What's going on? Is it something mommy needs? You know, I did that. Because I didn't have that growing up. For me, it was sit down and shut the F up <laughs> or because I said so. And that was it. It was no, how do you, it was none of that. So I made sure that I reversed that. That was a generational curse I had to break. So some of the things I did pick up with my mom that weren't so good, but a lot of those things that hurt me as a kid, I made sure that I did not do with my children. It was, I was just determined not to. Great, great. So you've been through two abusive marriages, right? Yes. Were these emotional or physical abuse? One was mostly emotional and verbal. The last one was what, what's called a narcissistically abusive relationship. Oh. It was definitely physically, sexually, emotionally, financially, any kind of abuse that you could think of. We partake on both sides. Most of it was on, I mean, a lot of it was on both our sides, but a lot of it on my end was out of defense for protecting myself against him. But he would turn it around as if I was hurting him, which would give him another reason to turn around. You know, so it was like a cycle. So that, that second one was definitely dangerous, but lives were on the line pretty much every day. The first one was just a reminder of what I grew up with, which was the verbal things or, you know, the name. 
So what, what should be the signs that one should look for before going into uh, a relationship? What should be the telltale signs? Because sometimes you see the person, the person is nice. You can never see what is behind the scenes. You can never see. So what should you think we should look out for? I, I would say the top sign for me, as I know, follow your instincts. Oh my God. I, if, if I don't, if you don't learn anything else in life, period. If it does not, if you have one inclination that something is wrong and that same thing, like you just look for red flags. One red flag would be, especially for a narcissist, they're very attentive and they're attentive for a reason because they want to know what weapons of mass destruction, so to speak, that's what I call them that they can use against you. So you want to be, follow your instincts, I would say. You definitely want to be quiet. Um, if you're starting off a relationship dating, you want to just learn the other person first, you know, see what they have to say, see what they've been through. Um, if they, uh, um, but most importantly, follow your instincts because your, your, your spirit, your soul is going to tell you. Like I can honestly say, my spirit told me not to marry him or date him. I just I thought it was the devil because I was so in love because <laughs> he tricked me, you know? So it was like the manipulation and all of that. It, it played a huge part, but not loving yourself plays a factor in them being able to do that to you. So you definitely want to heal from all your pain. You definitely want to pay attention to those red flags, but most importantly, follow your instinct. Listen to that something that's telling you. If something is telling you something about this person, believe it. I don't care how perfect they are, how pretty they are, how much money they have. None of that, none of that matters because all of that, especially with the narcissist, after they know they've gotten you, all of that's gonna disappear anyway. You're gonna need your strength to get the H E L L out of it. <laughs> like real fast and out of three. So yeah. you definitely follow your instincts. That's all I can say. Like that's the most important. And I also think that you should um, listen to the people around you sometimes, because when you're in love, you don't really see far and beyond, but the exactly. people around you can see and see through the person, through your eyes, kind of. So, exactly. yeah, because just before we came, I, we started, like we started the show, I was listening to an interview by a lady called Sarah Ban Bronick, if I'm right. She's the author of Simple Abundance. I think that book sold she said seven million copies around the world oh, wow. yeah and she, I, she made a lot of money from there so to cut a lot long story short she went on to her third marriage and she was so much in love and she didn't even look out for anything but the people around mm -hmm. her kept telling her no don't go into it don't go into it but i think she was blinded by love and she went into it she said the first two years was everything she wanted then after that that was when the crisis started because she was so much into money. And I think yeah. the man had just come in for the money. And she said, initially, when the man came, the man said, you are not good with the finances and all. Meanwhile, she's been handling her money before, way before you came in. She's been making the money herself. She's been handling it way before yeah. you came in. And then you come in and you say, you can't handle the money. Let me handle it for you. And then gradually, um, when she started losing it all, the man started being mean. So she asked the man, why are you being so mean to me? And the man said, because I have no value of you anymore. 
you don't in this relationship and didn't know how to come out of it until her daughter came to visit and said, I can see you're not happy. Get out of it. And she said she couldn't. So her, her daughter said, you've been empowering women. Women look up to you for things like this. You write books and women read it. Why can't you do it for yourself? So her daughter was like her first point of encouragement to get out of this relationship. What was your first point of encouragement? Or what was your, you know, that gave you the encouragement to leave these abusive relationships? My, my first husband passed away last year. And right before he died, a few months before he died, he asked me, because my ex-husband and I just divorced, we were in a fight. And he didn't know that I was on the phone talking to my husband. So he got upset and we literally physically fighting. So my first husband called the police. So we ended up separating. I, I moved in with my ex-husband. His thing was, why are you with him? Why are you with him? Why, like, leave him alone? And it was just like, because I, I love him, and whatever, whatever, whatever. And mind you, I worked for the police department at the time. I'm writing books. I'm telling people the same thing, like you said. It's it's a mind thing, like I said, especially with the narcissist, you have to be careful because it's hypnotizing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's like, a, they're literally like a drug because I was just telling someone right before I got on the phone with you. Um, it's, it's like, they're coming into your life to teach you to wake up from taking things that you should no longer accept. So they're like the messenger to wake up, so to speak. So if if you allow the relationship to teach you what it's supposed to, you'll get out safely. It's, it's going to be traumatic while you're in that experience. But so many people get trapped because they stay stuck in uh, not believing in themselves. But my ex-husband's message to just leave, like literally over the past year, I and, and the difficult thing is I told a client this uh, last week. It wasn't hard to leave, even though the process for me leaving took some time, but I was at the point where I wanted to leave. The most challenging part was staying away from me. It was as if it was an addiction. So I had to fight that, even though I knew he was toxic, I knew he was crazy, I knew he was addictive, I mean, you know, um, abusive, but he was addictive. It was like a drug. And me, the hardest part, especially dealing with the narcissist, they have this thing called no contact. And uh, I, I stuck with it for the majority of the part. But like most people who deal with narcissists, it's like a drug. You know, if if you're missing it, because I wasn't filling myself up with the love and the attention and affection that I, I was still looking for him. Even though I was in the process of doing it, those days where... It wasn't, you know, the sad days or whatever. Those were the days when I would break the no contact. But what helped me was I created a vision board the day after he left. And I wrote myself uh, the past, the present, and the future on this board. The past was the relationship we had. So I wrote out some journal entries and put them on the board. The things, the bad, nasty things he would say to me, I put it in quotes. And I put it on my board on my past. And where I was at that time, I was putting it like Coach Tanya and, you know, white, new wife, and, you know, those kinds of things. In my future, I had like millionaire, you know, vision yeah. board. And those days where I was missing him and all of that, I would turn to that board and I would look. He's gone, like my favorite was, you're free. Please don't ever, I wrote myself a note, you're free. Please don't ever go back to that man. Don't ever go back to that man. And that, Bro, that allowed me to stay away. If I hadn't done that board, I probably would have gone. 
And my dead ex-husband's voice wasn't in my head. Why are you with him? That's all I kept hearing was, why are you with him? Why are you doing this? And then that board, don't go back to him. You're yeah. free. I kept saying you're free. And that's all I had to go on. That's what it Okay, with your expertise in all of these, let's uh, educate people on what abuse is, because I know there are different types of abuse, and some people may even be going through abuse and may not know that is abuse. Let's talk to people about what abuse really is, and then the different types of abuse, if we can. There are different types of abuse, as we were talking um, earlier, um, excuse me, as I was talking to a client earlier, she was saying that she was not in an abusive relationship, but he was manipulative and he would lie. I said, that's abuse. So the abuse can be subtle. Like for my relationship, the first, I would say the first year and a half, he was perfect. You know, that was a part of the abusive cycle. Though. They played this role to capture you, to get you to believe something about them. So you definitely pay attention to the mental. People can mentally be on your mind. Yeah. It doesn't have to be they're smacking you physically. They can be smacking you mentally. They could be calling you ugly. They could be calling you fat. They could be calling you this. That's abuse. Even though they don't hit you, but emotionally they're beating the crap out of you. Uh, sexual abuse, you want to just because you're married. Like my ex-husband abusive, he literally thought. And I understand the concept of marriage where I'm yours, you're mine, I get that, whatever. But if my body's hurting and I can't do it physically and you still do it, and that's rape, you know? So that's sexual abuse, you know? Even yeah. though you are my husband, it's still, I'm telling you, stop, no. And then the act is portrayed as if you're an actual rapist. Yeah. And I'm a prostitute, you know, and, and he, like, literally, that was, like, to him, it was sexual and fun, but no, you're literally choking me and raping me, like, I'm a, a, I'm a victim of yours, so you want to pay attention to how they touch you, and if you touch it inappropriately, I was abused as a kid, and I have some issues, I'm working on it, well, I'm actually working on most of it, but, like, with him, it would be certain places he would touch me, and I would tell him I felt uncomfortable with it, he would get offended and try to make it seem as if I'm blaming him for it, and he would do it anyway. That's abuse. You know, it's all kinds of anything that is not right can be defined as abuse. If they continue to do it and you've expressed to them, babe, I don't like this, or sweetheart, this hurts, or you know, this makes me feel let's talk, whatever, and they keep doing it, that's abuse, whatever it is. So it can look like name calling it can look like punching it can look like withholding money from their money is my this is my money if we're married if i'm a housewife and you're working and you make most of the money what do you mean it's your money it's our money <laughs> i'm working too i just don't create physical paper currency but my work here at the house or whatever it is that's still work but if a man comes in or a woman because it could be a woman making all the money whatever if they're power driven and want to control, that's abuse, you know. So yeah. abuse can look like anything, anything that takes you, especially in a marriage that's inappropriately done, that's repetitively done after you've expressed. Even like my ex-husband, he would get angry with me and ignore me for two or three days. That's abuse. That's emotional abuse, you know? Why would you ignore your wife instead of communicating? Sweetheart, I'm angry right now. Let's just table this conversation. 
and let me play a video game or drink a beer or something and I'll get back. Something. Not communicating necessarily. It could be anything. Anything that takes you off of the feeling good square, I should say. If it doesn't yeah. feel good and it's repetitively done, it's a fix. Yeah. Let's backtrack a little bit. The, the bit you said, um, if the woman is a housewife and you're working and you're bringing most part of the money, I think that being a housewife is a full-time job. Yes, taking care of children is a full-time job, you know, yes, and we should actually be receiving salary for that. Seriously, because we give all our time to the children. We get not to even take time, good care of ourselves. You know, in the end, we get beaten, battered and all that for the children, but we do it out of love. So we as mothers can never complain. But um, on the other side, when our partners cannot appreciate us enough to know that when they are making money, then it is for us. Because when we are taking care of the children, we are doing it for us. So everything is us and not, it cannot be me. So I pray that if the men are listening out there, please do try and um, resonate with us on some level and get to know that, you know, some of these things, for me, I always say that if you're doing something to somebody and you think if the table is reversed and it is being done to you, you wouldn't like it, don't do it. That is what I always say, don't do it. If you are screaming at me, you are calling me names, if you are keeping your money away from me and you are doing things that if it's being done to you, you wouldn't like it. Why would you do it to? Why would you do it to your friend? Why would you do it to your neighbor? Oh, you, why would you do it to somebody you say you love? You, get yeah. you do all of that. And then in the end, you come back and you say, I love you. When you need something from the person, you come back and you say, I love you. Do you expect the person to believe you at that point? You know, some of these things, let's just take um, the person being your partner on the side and let's just mm -hmm. look at it from the face value as all of us being human beings and being neighborly or being, you get it. It's, it on the first run is, is wrong. If you don't want it to be done to you, don't do it to your fellow person. It's so totally wrong. Whatever it is though, I think we shouldn't be doing it, it to, to ourselves. It should be more love. And then, like you said, when the children get to grow up in a fun, loving home, it makes an impact. I think we don't see it. You see, I always say, when, and when I hear stories, I always say, what are the children taking out of all of these? When they see mom and dad quarreling, when they see mom and dad, you know, talking on top of their voices and all, the children are watching, they are sucking in a lot. And what we forget is, is impacting on their lives as they grow up. You get it. So we should just try to keep the home peaceful and fun. Even when we will argue, it should be when they are sleeping and undertone. Definitely we'll argue because we are from different backgrounds coming together to live in the same. So definitely there'll be some misunderstanding at some point because even twins from the same womb tend to miss, have differences at some point. So definitely there will be, but it, I think it is how we handle it that makes the difference. And, and makes an impact in the children's lives as well. Do you think it's possible for abusers to change? I can say anybody's can change if they, one, want to, two, are willing to put in the work, and three, ready to actually put in the work. If they want to change, if, if being abusive is no longer beneficial to them, they'll change, I'll put it like that. Mm. <laughs> they, benefit, they benefit from it from a great perspective because they get the control. They get the fear, they get the power. 
So if, if you take that from them, they no longer have any, I mean, what, what do they have? And then they have no choice but to change because it no longer works for them. So that's why I actually do my, um, I'm actually doing a domestic violence, um, what's well, an event that I'm doing for women entrepreneurs who've uh, been in abusive relationships who have a difficult time trying to start a business or start their new life because of yeah. the emotional trauma yeah. they've Definitely, they can change, like I said, if they want to, if they're willing to, and if they're ready, they, they, because anybody can change. So I can't say that they, they can't change because that would be no different than somebody saying, I can't change from being a victim, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they can change if they choose to. It just has to be uh, a choice. They have to want to. Yes. Do you think that abusers are unconsciously groomed? I say this from the fact that probably somebody will see that his dad was an abuser, will abuse the mom and grow up to be an abuser as well, thinking that is the norm. Do you think they are unconsciously groomed abusers? Um, I, I can say that's an interesting question because I know people whose parents were a certain way, but they were the total opposite because they didn't yeah. like what the parents did. Yeah. Then I, like my first guy that I actually dated, his, his father, because he was abusive. He only hit me once though. And I scared him after that. He never did it again. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my, uh, which was weird for me because I, I didn't really deal with physical abuse with that guy that I just divorced. That was the first time I've ever actually had that go on. But mm -hmm. my, the first time it happened, uh, he hit me for something and it was like, why you do that? And come to find out his father was abusive to his mother. And it was just conditioned in his head, although he never did it again. Cause again, I did scare him. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I literally scared him. So that kind of woke him out. I and mean, I saw him literally, this was when I was 17, I'm 45 now. I literally saw him maybe earlier this year, last year. And he said that he didn't remember hitting me but he never hit another woman after that again. Cause I, I, I literally scared him. Like I, I scared him. <laughs> and I remember telling him, you are not your father and I'm not your mother. Exactly. So you, you can't, we, we're not gonna have the same relationship. And then again, that goes back to piggyback to, like I wrote my second book, it's called My Secret Life. And there were powerful women it was a collaboration of women, a, a panel of powerful women. I work for the police department. I think one lady was a judge. There was one minister or a pastor or something. Pop, all in abusive relationships because it happens so subtly. And it's not about your strength or your weakness. It can be, but it's about you and your desire to change yourself. So with an abuser, yeah, you may have grown up. And, and, and the same thing, it's interesting because even with an abuser, it's the same thing with the, the one that accepts the abuse you know yeah because i grew up watching my mother deal with my father cheating on her to me i grew up and i remember and i had my healing talk with her last year and i asked her why did you stay yeah. you taught me to stick around and deal with cheating men i don't want to deal with a cheating husband that's not okay with me but for my mother it was okay so you can be groomed through your environment you know, through the culture that you grow up, you know, all the uncles doing, like I had to really come to grips with, there are no women in my family that are married. That's weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of, like literally my niece is about to get married and I had to do an announcement like, hey family, I just realized Sadi will literally be the first woman. Like I've been married before, but I'm divorced, but 
there's no, not one woman in my family is married now. And those that have been, they didn't last long. My first marriage did last 14 years, though. I can't say that. But it was toxic. <laughs> so what, I mean, what's 14 years of toxicity? That's not nothing to celebrate. Can somebody say that you, uh, you can be in an abusive marriage and then look away? Because it looks like sometimes these abusers, when you give them, when you give them the room, they, they, they get to be more abusive. But when you look away, then they don't have any much to do. And like you said, sometimes when you stand up and you defend yourself, or when you stand up for yourself, then they tend to move away. That is another thing too. So you either stand up and yourself, or you look away and ignore them, two ways. Those people who look away, it's because you're not ready to face the internal pain that you're dealing with. Mm. Being it, like for me, it was the, the fear of the unknown is greater than the fear of the abuse. If that mm. makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So, so for me, if I'm a housewife who doesn't work and this is my only source of income, yeah. what am I going to do when I get out of there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm scared. I don't know. There's no source. Mm. I don't know. I just have, you know, that fear of getting out there will keep you in that. Well, at least here I'm safe. At least I know I can eat. My kids get water, they get food. You know, I might have to deal with Tom choking me, but I can handle it. You know, as long, you know, it, you start to rationalize these things, but it doesn't, it's not fair. So for those who look away, it's because you're not ready to face your truth. Yeah. That there's a part of you that you are not ready to face. And it's easier for you to sit here and complain and, and not to say that abuse is right or anything, but I'm speaking from experience and I'm speaking as somebody who's gotten out of it and see it differently. You don't love yourself and you're blank. You're, you're complaining. You have, for me, I had somebody and I had to really do a lot of inner child healing to get to this point. My choices in men were not smart at all. One, my father called me the dumbest child in the world. So and subconsciously, I always thought I was stupid. So it didn't matter what I did. But they were all safe because if anything happened wrong in my life, guess what? I could blame the stupid man that I married or the stupid choice that I made. You made. I wasn't taking accountability. So for me to stay in that dumb marriage, because it was dumb to stay in there. It was dumb to marry. I mean, it was. <laughs> but I needed it because it allowed me to see what choices I was making wrong that was destroying my life. So yeah. for those who choose to empower themselves, like for me, I got out of that relationship because I, I started off trying to heal him, typically as a typical victim mindset. I wanted to fix him and fix the marriage because, oh, I just loved him so and whatever. So for me, it was on that journey of trying to fix him. I, the universe source, greater energy was like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm glad you're on this journey, but let me switch it around. How about you fix yourself? <laughs> so I started getting exposed to things about being an unhealed, like I didn't know what an empath was. I started reading about empathic relationships, narcissistic. I started researching narcissism. And when I started to understand what he was, it made me become much more clear on what I had to do at that point. I realized then it wasn't about him loving me or not loving me. It was about me loving me or me or not loving me. So I had to remove myself. And that at that point, I no longer looked away. So when you're looking away, it's because you're not ready to look inside and mm. see what that dark part is because that abuser represents your dark part. And it's safer mm -hmm. to blame him yeah. for beating you up than it is for you blaming yourself for beating you up. Yeah. 
Wow. Do you think that the economy plays or has an influence on domestic violence and all that? Can and that's a good question. Um, if you if you like my perfect example, I, I guess I it can because if you're money hungry or materialistic or egotistical or you know fleshly and all of mm -hmm. that, like my narcissist was very much so. The the lifestyle, and I honestly can say I really think he chose me out of all his selections. <laughs> I really think he chose me because I made the most economical sense for him. I was the one that was going to make him lunches and prepare him to be that available individual in the street versus another woman who would have been taking all his money mm. and you know mm. and all of that so I was the safest choice I had kids he knew I wasn't going out in the streets and doing anything yeah. you know he, yeah. he knew that I was going to be at home cooking and cleaning he knew that I had that so for him while I'm doing those things oh yeah let me go out and have fun because I know she's over there yeah. versus somebody else so in order for him to have that lifestyle still he definitely and I can say and I, and people think I'm crazy when I say this, but he did give me his money. The money part, there were only a few situations where he abused me or whatever with the money because I made just as much money as he did. So he really didn't have that upper power over me, but I allowed him to have that manhood belief that he was taking care of me. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was equal. But for me, seeing that, money was his way of feeling good about himself because most abuser that was his way of having power you know so he wanted a lot of money because he knew that the more money he had he could entertain me and whatever or whoever else and he could still maintain that lifestyle that he was still single or like he would he actually had two two cell phones i didn't know that Mm. So that was a bill that he was paying that I didn't know. He had a credit card. I didn't know oh. that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, 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 he never confessed, but I found these things out after we separated. You know, going through separating our things, I, I ran across some writings that he had that was, you know, credit card receipts and letters from, to other women. And I'm like, oh, like a narcissist is a total, complete stranger. You're married to a complete stranger, like literally. They have three personalities, the one they show the public, the one they show their spouse, yeah. and the mm. one they are real behind mm. closed doors. Yeah. <laughs> How have you been able to, because I know you have two degrees, mm -hmm. and then you, you graduated cum laude, and then yes. um, you have, how many books have you written? Because I know that anybody who's <laughs> been through what you've been through <laughs> is difficult, Tanya. It's difficult to stand for yourself, even after you've come out of all the situation, the abusive situation. It's difficult to get things together and do the things you're doing now. It's so inspiring. How have you done it? Oh man, like I said, that drive for me, and, and, and again, initially I started off trying to fix him. Yeah. And because I, like I said, the universe was like, no, I'm glad you're on that path of fixing, but we're gonna redirect you. So yeah. on that path of trying to fix him, like literally, how do you get your husband to love you more? That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started off that way, mm -hmm. but it turned into look in the mirror and love you instead, yeah. or, you know, it became empowering. Mm -hmm. So once I started to feed my soul, which was starving, 
it was starving from real love. It was starving from affection. It was starving from yeah. knowledge. It was starving yeah. from truth. And I started to feed that to myself. And every day, like literally, I'm a college student by heart. I, I'm a researcher. I would do a research paper in a minute. <laughs> so for me, learning about narcissism and lear learning all of that just gave me the even more courage. Yeah. It gave me even more power because then it was, oh, this man is not about to defeat me. Because I one day said I, I was feeling so defeated. Oh, my God. I was ready to, like, kill myself for real. Uh -huh. I was really too excited. This uh -huh. was a tough day. I don't know what happened. But I really just, I, I literally wanted somebody, I felt like a little girl who was crying and needed her daddy to hug her. Everything that could go wrong was going, oh my God, this was like, oh, it was yeah. crazy. But I remember saying, I just feel defeated. Like I just eff it, give up, I give up. And I went home, something told me, cause on my way home, I just kept saying defeated, defeated, I'm defeated. I got home and I was like, let me look this word up. <laughs> I looked the word up. Oh, it pissed me off. It pissed me off. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? I will never use that word again. And nobody or nothing will ever defeat me. Because the word, if you look the word up, that's just literally, you're done for. You ain't got nothing else left. <laughs> literally, you're just done for. You just give up. It's no more fight. You don't care. You mm. just... They beat you. Like, you just got crushed and demolished. And there's nothing left in you. And that's not true. <laughs> it, it, nobody's going to ever defeat me. The only thing it's that's okay. going to stop me is death. And not even, I just told my kids today, even when I die, you still going to hear my voice because I got YouTube videos, Facebook videos. <laughs> I got books. I got everything. You're never going to shut me up. <laughs> never. My word is bond. It does not matter. <laughs> I'm serious. So I know me because I work with people who do, like you were saying, turn the other cheek or ignore it. And they have that victim mentality. You cannot have that. As long as you have that victim mentality, you are defeated. He's won or yeah. they've won. Whether it's the, the job that's not treating you right or the neighbor that's, the minute you give up, they've won, that you've defeated. So you cannot, you cannot, I don't care how tough it gets. And I know I have been there ready to slit my everything, cut off everything. I have been there. I, I understand what that feels like. I get it. But when you get to that point, that's actually, and people hate when I say this because it's quite confusing. And I do talk about this in my sessions, but that's the best place for you to be. Because as a former lifeguard, I remember telling a six foot four man that was drowning in three, foot of, three feet of water all you got to do is stand up. Yeah. When you get to the bottom, that's the best place to do it. You're in yeah. the rock bottom. That's the best place to be because you get an opportunity to stand up, to stand tall, to see where you need to go, to start from scratch and get up out of it. So falling down part might be the most difficult. But when you get to rock bottom, that's time to celebrate. For it. It's not time to give up. It's the mm. opposite. It's time mm. to celebrate. Because again, think about it. If you're drowning in the pool, your best thing is to go straight to the bottom. Why? Because as soon as you get to the ground, you can shoot yourself back up. Yeah. Versus struggling in the water. Yeah. And you're going to get tired. Then you're going to drown and you're going to die at the end because you're tired and whatever. But I would tell people when I used to teach swim lessons, if you ever get scared and panic, just hold your breath and go to the bottom. 
Yeah. As soon as you get to the bottom, shoot your butt right back up. I guarantee you, you'll be out of the pool before I jump in there and say, <laughs> Yeah, because it's about defending yourself and you have to look at relationships and anything that's toxic or anything that's trying to drown you. You have to look at rock bottom as your opportunity to save yourself. So. So you, you did a first degree in uh, in what? What was your first degree in? My first degree is actually in business and my second degree is in behavioral science. Uh, I specialize in mental health, illness and family studies. So I, I, like I said, I work with families and relationships and I work with individuals. So, um, and behavioral science for those of you who do not know, uh, it's a study of psychology, sociology and anthropology. Um, so I study humans from head to toe pretty much in and out, the society, the culture from beginning to end, individuals, the society as a whole and then the human nature. So, so uh, since I've been a kid, I've always been fascinated with the human brain, I've always, um, wanted to study and, and, and I've always asked the question why like when my parents would argue like why are you together like I always mm -hmm. wonder why why do people do what they do like I've always been fast and even growing up why am I doing this <laughs> like this doesn't make sense it's not working for me why am I doing it because there's something inside of your mind that and I talk about this in my course I actually talked about this yesterday uh, last week with my training mindset training uh, there are four parts of the mindset, and if you're not able to manipulate all of them, then the main one, which is the unconscious part, which is where your trauma lies and all of that, that's going to control everything else. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get, a, it's like imagine being, a, imagine an iceberg uh, floating in the water above the iceberg and below the iceberg. Below the iceberg would be the unconscious and the subconscious. Mm -hmm. which is controlling the conscious and the superconscious, which is above the iceberg. So the unconscious would be the parts where your mind is developed, the ego development part. That's mm -hmm. what I call the mind. That's where your mind is set. That's where you're young and something may happen. And if it's not rectified, the mind gets set on this particular thought about something. It then develops an emotion about it. And then you grow up thinking that way. And the way you think in your unconscious mind controls your subconscious, which ultimately controls the conscious mind. But the superconscious mind is where you're able to tap into all of those parts of yourself, heal the mind, and then you're in control. It's as if you're operating as if you're uh, in your highest form of being. So the superconscious mind, of, of course, is like spiritual awakening. Of course, that's where you want to get. But in order to get there, you have to identify. That's why you can be doing, so, like some people will say, they do certain things. That, that's just how I am. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you can change. It's not working. It's ruining the family. What do you mean change? You can't change. That's a lot. You don't want to. But because consciously, they think that that's how they are. But unconsciously, up under that iceberg, no, you're this way because your mom used to call you stupid when you were a kid or, mm, you know, mm. so that's why you have to, like, for me, I realized why I was so loud because when I was a kid, I was always told to be quiet. So when I something, I didn't know that, but unconsciously, I, as an adult, I'm grown. You're not going to tell me to be quiet. So wherever I go, I'm loud, <laughs> but consciously I'm loud because I'm, that's just how I am. <laughs> Yeah. No, you're loud because you want attention. You want because I was, you know, and it's a lot of things, and that was something that was in my mind. So definitely, if you can think about what you want 
And anything is possible in life, period. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Um, you could be broke, living under a bridge, and the next year be a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. it's about if you get tired of living up under that bridge. That's all. Now, if you're comfortable up under the bridge, you can stay there and jolly go lucky stay up under there. <laughs> you can have fun with all the rest of them up under there. I, I, that's what you want to do? That's what you want to do. Even staying in a toxic relationship, if you're comfortable, which probably not, but if, if you're okay with being hurt every day and being lied to and deceived and, you know, being manipulated and gaslighted and, you know, if you love the love bombing, that's fine. You're going to be comfortable and you're going to stay there. But the moment you get sick and, and I and say, you know, they're saying you're sick and tired. Well, I used to say, well, I, I told myself I'm sick and tired, not tired, but I would use the word tired. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. <laughs> I couldn't take it no more because I knew that that life that I was living was not me. I knew even as a kid, I knew I was going to be a millionaire as a kid. I would always say a million. I never knew what the million was, but I always would say, I'm going to have a million. I'm going to do a million books or a million, whatever, whatever it was, a million, a million, whatever. And what I realized growing up in my journey is my mission in life is to transform the lives and the minds of a million people. Yeah. So not knowing when I was a kid that that's what that million was, like my mission, my personal mission. And I vowed to the universe. <laughs> Before I leave here, I got to touch a million minds. I got. Yeah. To, I have to train. I have to allow them to see that there's greatness in you, exactly. and just because you may not see it or you have not seen, I've seen it, it. It's not, it's not there. yeah, you just have to remove yourself from the mm -hmm. environment that's telling you it's not there. And it first starts with your mindset. You have to first put in your mind that you are brilliant, that you are awesome, you are whatever, whatever. If you can imagine it, it's yours. The only reason you're imagining it is because it's your dream that's reserved just for you. I told a client a couple of weeks ago, I like football, but I'm not Tom Brady. So when I was growing up, I didn't have footballs in my head all day long. I didn't do all Because <laughs> that's not my imagination to be a quarterback. Yeah, That wasn't in my mind. I didn't want, now I like football, but no. But I'm pretty sure Tom Brady didn't grow up want to be a wife and, and, and write books either, you know, so <laughs> whatever it is that you want, you definitely can achieve it. You just have exactly. to set it in your mind. You have to transform your mind. You have to elevate your mind. You have to want it first. You know, you have to have faith that it's yours. You have to believe it. it's all energy. It's all energy, whether it's if, if you're coming from a religious perspective or spiritual, whatever. It's all, it all equates down to energy. Your thoughts create your reality and your thoughts are energy and the universe operates off of energy. So whatever you're thinking is what you're gonna see. And we then say that going through the things you went through, I wouldn't say it was a good thing, but because inside of you all the time you have felt or you have thought of million, million, million. Now you're just saying that you're going to touch a million lives before um, if anything should happen, it happens to you. Do you think that going through what you went through in your journey has actually made things or made the picture very clear to you? So when you are dealing with people, you know exactly where to hit, what to do, and to be able to give them the best of advice because you've experienced it firsthand. So you have a clear vision of what they're expressing to you or telling you, and then you can therefore help them. Do you think so? Do you think your experiences in life has really helped at this point? 
things like I actually, if you go on my website or my appointments uh, and scheduling page, there's tons of courses that I have on there. So uh, everything that I went through, especially over the last two years, I've documented it and turned it into an opportunity to help somebody else. Uh, most, of, most of the courses I do include, include worksheets or workbooks or some type of activity, meditation, or you know some type of shadow work or something. Uh, so definitely my personal experiences have gotten me in addition to my college degrees, because I can say that the life experiences uh, helped me more than the college degrees. I, exactly. I mm, yeah. I definitely the, because the, most of the stuff in college, not to say that I'm not in my degree, I appreciate it. I, even though I went for it for the wrong reasons, but I, I do appreciate having it because I do see what it's for. A lot of people do respect the degree. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot, I would say 30% of my knowledge came from college. The rest came from life experience. Experience. Mm. 30% came, and only the 30% is so I can use big words. <laughs> <laughs> I just paid $100,000 to use big words. Because I can Google everything I tell you, <laughs> This is deep, Tonya. This is what you just shared. It's deep. So this tells us that life is actually a learning class. It's a classroom, isn't it? It's a learning stage. It's a classroom. I always say that there are experiences, experiences you can never buy. You can never buy. You can buy a college degree. You, can, you know, all of those you can buy. But the experience, you have to live through it. And as you go through it, it shapes you. It makes you better. It makes you tougher, stronger, and all of that, you know. And it's one thing that we should, I would, I, well, I wouldn't say that we should wish to go through, you know, trials and difficult times and all. But when they come, we just have to brace ourselves and face it. Because there's definitely something good in there for us. So what would be your best advice to people going through any form of abuse as we wrap up? The best advice, you know, <laughs> um, I, I, for me, and I understand, and for me, it took me a year and a half to get out. I had to strategically get out. So for when I say get out, I don't necessarily mean, because you may not be able to get out today, but yeah. in six months, you may be able to, if you take the time to plan. So for me, literally, it took me a year and a half. I had to transition like where, where we first got together, it was his house. And I knew if he got angry, get out of my house. Yeah. So I had to get us in a position where it was my house or our house and you get out because I got the kids and my credit went through before yours. And, <laughs> you know, it was, it was more of an empowerment. Then it was I got rid of the old raggedy car with us together that, nope, I got me a newer vehicle, you know, so a little bit more independent. Um, you know, it's just, my advice definitely is to get out. But in the meantime, heal from your pain. Because as long as you're wounded on the inside, that abuser represents that wound and they're going to stay. Mm. They will never leave until you get rid of them period. They will never, and that's from a, a spiritual perspective and a physical, because an abuser, unless they've replaced you with somebody else, they will never leave you. For what? They're, that's the time of their life. They get to disrespect somebody without getting punished. They get to cheat on you without being rejected, you know? Yeah. I mean, if, if you cheat, and, and, if, and if I hit you and you don't do anything, oh, that's the best relationship ever for me. For an, from an, if you look at it from yeah. that perspective, you're giving them what they think they deserve, which is somebody that they can smack around or cheat on or lie to or disrespect. Because at the end of the day, they don't love themselves. That bit of advice is get out 
save your life because you never know the next day could be the end of your life or theirs. Yeah. And it could be that if some relationships are that like literally before we separated that last night, I had a knife in my hand and I was ready oh. to kill it. And my brother's cousin had a gun ready. It, it was, it had, it, it can get that bad. So when I say get out, get out. And again, you may not be able to get out today, but start planning today. Make the decision to get out today, right now. Make the and don't look back. Even if you, even if it takes you a year, because again, it took me a year and a half to plan for. It. Even if it takes two years to get out, but in those two years, guess what? You're building your self-esteem. You're building your courage. You're building your self-confidence. You're building. If you want to go get a trade right quick, because you might need to get a little quick job, you're preparing. It will be no different than preparing for a husband. It's the same difference preparing to leave a toxic one. You're going to take the steps necessary to get out. And if you need help, definitely, I can help you with that. I can definitely help you with that. Great. In this last year, I've written two books. One of them hit number one bestseller in three wow. days. Oh, I wow. Started three, I've started two businesses, excuse me. I've healed from so much pain. I have gotten through so much. Like I said, I've written over a hundred courses and programs and all of that, that you can find many of them on my website. Um, if you get out, then everything you've asked for will come to you. It's not going to come while you're there because the universe is never going to bless you from a negative place. Mm. You have to be in a positive receiving place mm. and you're never receiving when you're being choked and, and abused. You're, you're, you're in a place of desperation. Um, you can't produce when you're desperate. You know, you, you can't be effective when you're desperate. You have to be at a place of peace and the universe will respond. So as long as you have that, that toxic energy in your life, whether it's a person, a job, a thought, it could be a thought. It doesn't even have to be a person. You could be abusing yourself. As long as you are in that negative environment or that toxic situation, the universe will never bless you with what your soul really wants. Now, it might give your ego what it wants. So you might get a new, a new pair of shoes or a new job that pay a little bit of money, uh, but your soul will never be at peace because the soul, I, I have this show that I do weekly on my Facebook, it's called The Soul Knows. And the soul knows exactly what it wants and it knows exactly how to go get it. And it will put you in situations, whether we think they're good or bad, the soul will allow you to go and search. It will lead you in situations. That's why you attract certain things, because the soul has a mission that you ain't got nothing to do with. It's just up for you to catch up and be like, oh, that's why I'm doing. That's why you can experience something two years later. Oh, that's what that was. Because your soul has already led you through that because it has a, a place like my soul needed me to be here today. And had I stayed with him two more days, I wouldn't have been here today. So the situations that led up to that day where he left had to have happened. My soul knew that particular day I needed to do certain things and say certain things because that particular day was the very day that he had to go. Because if it would have been another day or two later, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have no, but everything I just told you would not, I, I would, I would, somebody else probably would be sitting here telling you the same thing, but it wouldn't have been me. So we definitely have to uh, follow our instincts. Like I was saying earlier, you definitely have to follow your gut. You definitely have to surrender. That's my, that's my, 
my my advice surrender whatever it is that you're going through i don't care how hard it is even if you got to get on your knees and cry and, and beat the ground down it doesn't matter you can scream and yell at the universe of god you understand i'm sure but guess what when you let him know your truth and that's when god responds and the universe responds when you're at your greatest your highest and your truth because you could be mad but if you're oh i'm fine oh i don't need that well you're not going to get anything <laughs> But if you say, no, I'm angry, I'm upset, I need this, I want, that's when the unit, because that's that energy, you're stepping into your fullness, which is you knowing you can manifest and command it to come to you, you know? So if you, if you're struggling with something, I would definitely say, just follow your instinct, trust your gut and just surrender. Allow whatever is happening to happen, don't fight it. Because the more you fight it, the more resistance you'll have and the longer you'll experience the experience. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. In closing, Tanya, where can our listeners connect with you? Um, well, you can definitely reach me on my website. Uh, it's www.coachingbytanya.com and that's Tanya with an O, not an A. Great. It's been lovely having you on podcast with Sheila today. I enjoyed it. I have learned a lot. I believe our listeners are going to also learn a lot from your experience. And thank you so much for sharing because it isn't everybody who can share their story the way you shared it with us today. Thank you very thank much. You. You're welcome. Wow. If you've been listening in, this has been season two, episode 28 of our podcast series, where we've been bringing your way seasoned guests with inspiring real life stories to share with us. Do not miss out on all these lovely experiences. Subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. We have a video presentation of this episode on our YouTube channel. Just search for Podcast with Sheila on YouTube and you'll find us. Until we meet again, have a lovely week. Thank you.